Uh, if you've not met, my name's Jono. I am the other bald pastor from around church here. Um, yeah, so there we go. Lovely, lovely to meet you if we haven't met. Uh, and come say good day after, if that's the case. Now, um, here at EV Night, uh, we often get to celebrate lots of uh, family news, like births and marriages and exciting things like that. Uh, but unfortunately, belonging to a family like this also means that sometimes we have sad news that we need to share together as well. Now, I have some of that for you guys. You know, uh, many of you will know Christian McLaughlin. He was at EV Night with us uh, last year. And a few years before that, in August, uh, he moved over to uh, Grace Church Peninsula when he married his wife, Emily Walter. Um, tragically, I need to tell you guys, Emily died uh, last week. And so I'm really sorry to say that. Uh, Emily's sister, Sarah, is here at church with us in the morning, as well as Christian's mum, Margaret. Uh, and some of you will remember Emily as well, uh, if you're in youth group with her and so on. Now, friends, Emily was a Christian and she knew the incredible news that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so, although this news is, is very sad, uh, we can have confidence that we will see her at the resurrection again. There's going to be a funeral for her on Thursday at Palmdale, um, and you can chase that up with the family and so on if you uh, would want to get along. And now, if this news is particularly sad or hard for you to hear for whatever reason, can I encourage you to, to chat to someone after church? You might like to come and find me or some of the other pastors at church here uh, or a growth group leader or someone like that. And I should say as well, if, uh, if throughout tonight you need to go get some space out in the foyer or something like that, please feel free to do that. Um, now, there's obviously great grief uh, for Christian, our brother, and, and Emily's family as well and friends. And so I want to take some time now to pray for those guys. So please join me and we'll pray. Father God, we so we deeply grieve the presence of, of death in your good creation. And we thank you for the comfort it is to know that, that you, the God of the universe, grieve with us. You're not indifferent to our pain. You entered into it in the person Jesus. And so we thank you and praise you for that. And Father, we pray, please, that you would be with our brother Christian. Sustain him in his grief. Uh, we, we pray that you'd surround him with care and support and love. And we pray the same for Emily's family and friends. Lord, we pray, please be with them. Cause them to trust you, to cling to Jesus, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we thank you so much for Emily's trust in Jesus and the confidence that we have that, uh, that the resurrection brings, that we'll see her again. And Lord, we pray for... For anyone here tonight who's grieving the pain of death or anything else uh, in the wider scope of our family life together, Lord, we pray that you would be with them, that more and more those people would cling to you as well. And Father, we pray now as we turn our eyes uh, toward your word here in John 11, we pray, Lord, that you would give us faith to grab hold of the promises in front of us, to cause us to see your goodness, cause us to see your love and compassion and, and Lord, help us to cling to Jesus and trust him all the more. For our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, by God's providence, uh, we have a wonderful part of the Bible to look at together tonight in John chapter 11, a part of the Bible that was selected for me as a preacher well before we heard any of the news that I've just shared with you. 
Uh, but the things we're going to see tonight in this passage are wonderfully helpful things to hear uh, in the context of sad news. Uh, now, tonight, um, just to orientate us more broadly in what's going on here, tonight's our first week in the book of John this year. Uh, over four, week, uh, four years in term one, we've been working our way through the book of John. So this is the third year and we'll finish it off next year. And so let me start by reminding us of the bigger picture of what's going on here in John and then we'll zoom in and take a closer look here at John 11. Uh, so the book of John broadly is really a book of two halves. Uh, the first half, John chapters 1 to 11, uh, is covering the majority of Jesus' ministry over three years. There's a whole big chunk of time there. Then the second half, which we're going to dive into pretty much as of next week, picks up chapters 12 to 22, covers just a little over a week uh, where Jesus is headed to the cross and His resurrection. But it's almost as if the second half of John, time slows down and zooms in on this critical piece, Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's, where we're, that's the section we're headed into. But chapter 11 here sits at the very end of what's called the Book of Signs. Uh, seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does, that John calls signs, because they point us to who Jesus is. And so we've seen six of them already, and tonight we're seeing the greatest one, the seventh one, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, if you're joining us new to this tonight, um, perhaps you weren't with us for John in other years, it's kind of like you've walked in late to a movie, but you've walked in at a really good part. Imagine you've arrived at Hoyt's, you snuck in in the back end of a cinema and you're coming on in and you've walked into a really good part, the climax of a movie. You've wandered in at a perfect time. There's huge things for us to see tonight in this passage. Uh, it has enormous implications for, for all of us, big stuff. It, it, it shapes our lives now, it shapes your whole reality of the future and the reality of life and death and, and it's the help that you need to keep living as a Christian now. How do you keep going when life is hard? We're going to see that here tonight. How do you keep going when tragedy helps, hits? Jesus is the one who comes and helps us in this. So that's what we're diving into tonight. Let's look at it together. together. Uh, and first of all, I want you guys to notice as we look at chapter 11 here, the first striking thing that we're confronted with in this passage is the times when Jesus doesn't show up. That's the first thing that leaps off the page. The context is verses 1 to 3, which we didn't read, so let's have a look at it together. Verses 1 to 3. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And we're going to hear about that in the chapters to come. So the sisters went to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. So bad news, their brother is really sick. Good news, these sisters happen to be hooked up with a guy who's a renowned healer. He's famous for it. He's just done the six signs that we've just talked about. Jesus has turned water into wine. He heals people who couldn't otherwise walk, fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread, walks on water, restores the sight of a blind man. And he even at one point has healed a boy who was dying, healed him long distance from afar without even going to him. And so these sisters, they get the word to Jesus. Jesus, you've got to come and help. Your bro our brother is sick. The one that you love is sick. Now, verse 4 gives us a little spoiler. Jesus says, this sickness won't end in death, which is good news. But then in verses 5 and 6 and 7, you get some of the strangest words in the whole book of John. Have a look there. Look at verse 5. It won't end in death. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick... He stayed where he was 
two more days. Then, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. He loved Lazarus, he loves his women, he loves his family, so he stays where he is for two more days. If Jesus was a paramedic, he'd be getting some pretty bad reviews, staying two more days. What the heck is Jesus doing here? What on earth is he doing? Now, verse 14, we hear that Jesus waits too long and Lazarus is now dead. In fact, verse 17, when Jesus arrives, he's now been dead and buried for four days. Now, have a look, join me in verse 20 where our Bible reading picked up there. Uh, and, And here you see the rawness of this account kind of leap off the page at you. Lazarus is dead, verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now you can see there, verse 22, she obviously continues to trust Jesus and knows he's amazing, but you can hear the pain in her words to Jesus, can't you? If only you'd been here, Jesus. Perhaps the unspoken question, Jesus, why didn't you come? Yet through the pain, she trusts him. See how Jesus responds, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Which I take it there's a double meaning going on here, which we'll see later on. But look at verse 24. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's got a part of it. Jesus offers the comfort, your brother will rise again and Martha says, yeah, I know he will rise again eventually at the resurrection, sure. Now, as a Jew, she, as a Pharisaical Jew, she believed what we read in Ezekiel 37 there, she knew that there was a physical resurrection to come but that doesn't take away the sting of death now. Martha is much like us, isn't she? If you're a Christian tonight, if you have a a good theology of who God is and and even of suffering, then this can be a lot like us. (laughs) I know that God's good, I know that He's in control, I know that I'm loved, the one that I've, if someone's died in my life, I know that eventually at the resurrection I'll see that person in heaven, but the resurrection is a long way off. I'm hurting now. (laughs) I know death won't ultimately be the end, but I want it to be better now. Jesus, why can't you help now? Jesus, why didn't you show up before this tragedy struck? Jesus, why didn't you answer my prayers before it was too late? Like Martha and Mary, this really is the first reality that all of us face in suffering. We cry out to God through the tears of pain and we beg Him for help and very often, but not always... We ask for healing, we ask for help, and Jesus doesn't show up. Very often, that can be our experience, can't it? We know that there's a resurrection and that He's with us and that He loves us, but in our, in our needs right in front of us, often, it can feel like Jesus doesn't show up. And so, you lose that loved one. The healing doesn't come, you're left feeling maybe even alone. Now, your theology tells you that you're never alone, that God is with you, that He's good, but still this is our experience. Why didn't Jesus do something? Why didn't He show up? Now, in light of how Martha must have been feeling, what Jesus does next here in verse 25 is truly 
audacious. It's a big move. She's grieving the loss of her brother and she says, yeah, I know that he'll rise again at the end, but in her grief, what she wants is her brother back, but then Jesus makes it, he makes it all about himself. Have a look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, grieving the loss of her brother, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says to Martha. And Martha replies, I do, verse 27, you're the Messiah, I know that's true. Martha's waiting for She's waiting for this resurrection. She believes that the case, that it's coming in the future. This resurrection day will come. She believes all of that. But then here in verse 25, 26, Jesus turns up and he says, that distant hope you have of a resurrection, that thing you're waiting for, he's like, I am it. (laughs) I am life. I am the resurrection. It starts and ends with me. That's who I am. Martha is, Martha's grieving the loss of her brother. She feels like the greatest need that she has right now is to get her brother back. Jesus turns up and insists that her greatest need is Him. He's the life, He's the resurrection, He's everything she needs. I actually mentioned this in a sermon just the other, the other week, but sometimes taking your kids to the doctors, to needles, all that kind of stuff... Uh, it's, it's terrible because you can't explain to them that what, what is experientially a painful thing is actually what's good for them. So you take them to get their needle and they're just like, this doctor guy seems nice. And then suddenly their arm's hurting and they're screaming and the betrayal, like, what, what are you doing? They can't fathom that you would do something that hurts that's actually what helps, what's best for them. Now, the question all of us face in suffering is this. What could possibly be worth it. All this suffering that you see around you, in the world around you, what could possibly be worth it for all of that? Well, Jesus' answer here in chapter 11 is, I am. Jesus is. There is something that all of us need more than the end to all of our grief now, and it's to know this Jesus. And that's what he's concerned with here in this passage. Now, we've just been struck by what happens when, it, when Jesus doesn't show up. But here's the second amazing thing that we're going to see in this passage tonight. Here it is. What happens when Jesus does show up? There's three huge things we're going to see under that heading. This is massive stuff. The first remarkable thing is this. When Jesus shows up, he hurts with us. He hurts with us. See, after Jesus' conversation with Martha, she goes and gets her sister Mary, uh, and now it's her time to go out and meet Jesus. And so have a look at verse 32. When, Ma- when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she's now come out, she saw him and she fell at his feet and said again these same words, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Those same grief-filled words now on the lips of Mary. Jesus, why didn't you come? If only you'd been here. But this time, have a look. Jesus' response is very different. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. 
Come and see, Lord, they replied. He sees Mary's pain. He sees the pain of the Jewish friends who've come with her and he's troubled. He's deeply troubled in his soul, in his spirit. And so read on. Look at verse 34. Here's what happens next. He says, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see, Lord. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He stopped and he wept. And confronted with the scene before him, with the reality of death of this one that he loves, he wept. Now, some of the people watching on point out, well, if he loved him so much, then why didn't he do something to stop it? Why didn't he come sooner is the question that follows. More on that later. But not only could Jesus have come sooner and prevented this death, you need to catch this, Jesus Jesus knew where this was headed before it even happened. Jesus knew how this was going to go down. Flick back very briefly into verse 11 in the same chapter and notice that Jesus, before he'd even died, was planning to raise him from, from the dead. Have a look at verse 11. After he'd said these things, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. That means, that's Jesus speak for, he's dead. But I am going there to wake him up. So here Jesus is on a mission to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows where this whole thing is headed, but still, verse 35, when he gets there, he weeps. Now, why? Why does Jesus do that? Well, I take it there's a few things going on. First, Jesus truly loved Lazarus. He loves this family and seeing the reality of their grief and Lazarus lost to them, he grieves with them. He's not floating above, wandering past their pain as if it doesn't matter. The fact that Jesus' healing of Lazarus is coming soon still doesn't change the fact of their sorrow in the now. And so he weeps, he hurts with them. Now, secondly, it's a little bit um, not clear in the NIV translation there, but when it says Jesus is troubled in his spirit, there's a little bit more being said there. I think it's almost saying he's, he's indignant, he's even angry in a sense at what he's seeing. So why is he so upset by what he's seeing? I take it he's angry at the reality of seeing his good creation, the God of the universe, Jesus, seeing that creation ravaged by sin and death and sickness. And Jesus says, this is not right. <laughs> this is not how it's meant to be. It's not normal that death would intrude in God's good creation. We're used to it because we've been living in it for, for forever now, but death is not normal. It's a terrible aberration in God's good creation. And so I take it these tears are for Lazarus and his family, but also for the brokenness of a world that he loves. And so he wept. Now, guys, this is incredibly important for us to catch today, isn't it? There's lots more that you could say about suffering and, and, and hard times, and this passage is going to say more in a second. But before we get to any of that, see who your God is. See Jesus' heart for Lazarus, but not just for Lazarus, for you. God knows the end of your story, wherever that's headed, before it even began. He, God knew and ordained, Jesus knew and ordained 
every joy that you'll experience in this life, but also every moment of pain and sorrow. God knows all of that from, from, from beginning to end. He's in control. None of it's beyond His rule. But even though God sees the bigger picture and sees that it's headed actually for a resurrection in heaven with Him, even though He's got in mind your eternity in heaven and all those things, uh, even now, He cares deeply about your tears and your pain and whatever it is you're going through right now in the moment. He hurts with you when you're laid low in your grief. Jesus cares deeply about your suffering now. He loves you. He grieves with you. He's your God. And so that means you can come to Him. You can come to this one. He gets it. He's entered into the brokenness of our world. He suffered with us. More than that, He suffered for us at the cross. And so come to, come to Jesus the one who hurts with you. So when Jesus shows up first, he hurts with us, but it doesn't just stop there. Here's the second wonderful thing you see in this passage. When Jesus shows up, he helps us. And I want to say that's an understatement. See, in a very immediate sense, that's exactly what he does for Lazarus and these sisters. Have a look there at at, uh, verse 38. You're kind of racing to the end of the story there, but have a look at verse 38. Skip ahead. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. You can see Martha now really doesn't see what's coming. She says, but Lord, the sister of the dead man said, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there for four days. So you can see the, the grisly reality of what's going on here. Lazarus is well and truly dead. And she's just concerned, it's going to be horrible and gross and and stinky, he's properly dead. But Jesus pushes on, he prays and then in verse 43, look at this, when he'd said this, he's prayed to God, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face, because that's where he was buried. And then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Absolutely staggering. You cannot imagine what it would have been like to see this unfold. But Jesus showed up and in a very literal, immediate sense, he helped. In in a huge he's overturned death itself. He's brought Lazarus back to life. The greatest enemy of humankind here has been wound back. Now you might hear all of that and see it here in this chapter and go, well, that's good. Good for Lazarus. Lucky him. But what about the rest of us? Unless Jesus turns up for me personally and raises the person I love from the dead, well, so what? What does it matter? Well, friends, here's the thing you've got to get. As amazing as raising Lazarus from the dead is, and it is amazing, it's only a taste. It's only a sign pointing to a much greater hope. Where's Lazarus at now? He was resurrected, where's he at now? Well, unfortunately, he's the only sucker who had to physically die twice. (laughs) They raised him from the dead, but he had to die again. His resurrection was a temporary one, it was a band-aid against the inevitable march of death, which will come again for him, as it will for all of us. 
Lazarus's resurrection, though, is a sign pointing to something so much greater, a sign pointing to something that is for all of us if we're in Christ. What's it pointing to? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us guessing. He says it so clearly. Have a look at verse 25 again there. Jesus says it really clearly. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Now, it sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? If you read those verses carefully, you're like, what? what is he saying? That sounds almost contradictory. It's not. He's talking about two different types of death and two different categories, types of life. He's saying, if you're in Jesus, you'll still face a normal physical death, but your life will not end there because you'll be raised again to a physical, real resurrection where you'll live forever, eternally. And so, though you die, you will live. And in fact, in in a real sense, you will never die because you will live forever in heaven. Which is why Jesus says back in, in verse 11, He talks about Lazarus, who's now dead in the ground, and He says that he's asleep, and I'm going to wake him up again. Jesus talks about death for Christians as being asleep, which is how Christians went on to continue to talk about death, because of the eternal life to come. Whoever believes in me, says Jesus, has eternal life. They'll never die. That's the main event. This is what it's all about. Lazarus's little temporary resurrection is meant to point us to the main game, the real resurrection. The incredible, rock-solid hope that all of us who are in Jesus have. This is yours a resurrection that will never be interrupted by sin and death and Satan, all of that will be done. When Jesus shows up, He hurts with us. Yes, He does, but more than that, He helps. He does something about our plight. He permanently fixes the problem. He pays for our sin at the cross and then He rises again. And so, His resurrection is like the model of our resurrection that we can expect, (laughs) unlike Lazarus not to die again, Jesus was raised from the grave permanently to now rule His world. And so, as sure as Jesus rose again, you can be confident that you, Christian, will too. And those that we love who've fallen asleep in Christ will rise with Him as well. Friends, This is the help that we so desperately need. This is the help that you need when confronted with death. This is the help that matters for all of life. In its ups and downs, this is a constant. It's stable, it's unchanging. A few years ago, my wife and I, Lyndall, uh, uh, we we lost a baby 10 weeks into a pregnancy, uh, which was really sad, but I want to say as well, it's actually really common, you may not be aware of this if you're still growing up, but this is a a very common experience, as I know, for many of my brothers and sisters here at church. Now, our friends and family said lots of lovely things to us, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, I'm praying for you, let me know if there's anything I do, and all of that was wonderful and good from many friends. Uh, Friends had lots of kind words, but one friend did something really unique in that time, I remember it really well, he urged me to do something really tangible, this is a message I got from that mate, It was pretty bold, but it was so helpful. He said, 
remember the resurrection. Remember that death is not the end. Remember that Jesus has defeated death, so that's not the last word. Keep holding on to that. That was powerful. The resurrection does something powerful in life now. It's not wishful thinking that hopefully this thing is going to happen. It's a tangible hope that we cling to now in the face of death. What a help that we have in Jesus. What an amazing hope we have in Him. All right, we've seen what happens when Jesus shows up. He hurts with us, He comes and He helps. Now, here's the final thing to see in this passage, and this is quite mind-blowing, to be honest, but when Jesus shows up, He reveals Himself. Now, that sounds, I think, pretty underwhelming at first glance, but let me say, I think that's the main thing going on here in this passage. Amazingly, in the middle of this family's tragic story, Jesus chucks Himself squarely into the middle of it all, and He makes it all about Him as He reveals Himself. And so, as we see this, what you will actually see is something profound about suffering now in life. It's going to be worth our time, I promise. So, let's look at this last thing together. Starting just at the end of the section we read, up at verse 44 there, did you notice how kind of simple and underwhelming the resurrection moment is? There's 44 verses, right? And he's Jesus talking to his disciples and saying all sorts of things. And then with Martha and then Mary, and he prays this prayer to God. There's all this lead up to this moment where we're going to get to see Lazarus resurrected from the dead. And you get two verses. Lazarus, come out. He was still dressed in his grave clothes and he said, take him off. And they did. And they let him go. The end. (laughs) The next verse, 45, it talks about how this impacted everyone else as it went on. But we're done with Lazarus at that point. For a a passage that's meant to be all about this guy getting raised from the dead, Lazarus is strangely absent. And the reason is this passage is actually all about Jesus. Jesus makes it all about Him. His timing, the things that He says, all of it is pointing us to Him. So come back, we're going to whiz back through it. I want you to notice a few things, but we'll move pretty quickly. But come back to the start of chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. The news news comes, Lazarus is sick and dying. And then have a look at verse 4, because this sets the tone for everything that's going to happen. Look at verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. He says, it's not going to end in a funeral, but did you hear why? For God's glory, that His Son, Jesus, would be glorified. This whole incident, Jesus claims, is actually about His glory. It's a giant signpost screaming out to us who Jesus is. Now, you might hear that here in verse 4, and particularly in the context of this poor man's death and the family's grief, and you might be like, that sounds a little bit selfish, maybe. Maybe a little bit self-absorbed. And then you go, but Jesus is God, so I guess He's allowed to get the glory. That makes lots of sense. And so, is it just a bit unloving, at least, to use this tragic thing for Him to get glory? Even if He's right to get the glory, is it unloving? Well, have a look at verses 5 and 6 again. 
because I drew this out before, but have a look again there. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loves this family. It's so crystal clear, verse 5. So, because of that, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Motivated by love, he stays and lets Lazarus die. Something profound is going on here. Now, what you see here very clearly is whatever Jesus is doing, it's not selfish and self-absorbed or unloving, in fact, it is motivated by love that He's seeking to reveal His glory to them. Uh, but this isn't just out of love for the family, have a look at verse 14, this is actually for the sake of the disciples as well, have a look at verse 14, Jesus is telling them that He's dead, so He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, He's talking to His disciples, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. He's saying he's dead, and that tragic as it is, it is true. He says, for your sake, I'm glad so that you disciples might believe. And so motivated by love, what's Jesus doing? He's seeking to draw people to believe in him. You can see that in verse 25, which we read before. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this about me? He wants to see the people around him, the family, the disciples. He wants to draw them to himself that they would believe. This is what it's all about. This is the main event. Even the prayer right before the resurrection, have a look there, verse 41 uh, then they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. <laughs> Even his prayer here as he asks God for healing and in fact knows that God has done it, is for belief, <laughs> that those who are listening would believe in him. Will this family believe in Jesus? Will his followers believe in Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? Because that's why this is actually here. Chapter 20 of John tells us what this whole thing is all about. The whole book of John, chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but we've got seven of them. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing, you, the person sitting here tonight, reading these words, may have life in His name. That's what it's all about. Jesus did all of this so that we might find life in His name, eternal life, by believing, by trusting in Him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the key to eternal life, the only way, says John, the end of death, the beginning of a life that will live forever, that will never end in death again. There is nothing in existence more important than this one thing, that you know and believe in this Jesus. Here in chapter 11, Jesus is claiming to be the goal of existence itself, the key to eternal life. Now, friends, if all of that is true, then Jesus isn't being 
egotistical or self-absorbed or even close to being unloving because revealing himself is the most loving thing that he could ever do for anyone. Do you know this Jesus? He's the point of your existence. He's the only hope of eternal life. Have you come to him and put your trust in him? Nothing matters more than that. Now, as we step back and think about how to apply this to us in life now, as we go through the ups and downs of life, this passage draws a really tight line between Lazarus's death and the outcome of, of Jesus revealing himself. It's really clear and connected in this passage. How does that work for us today? When we face hard times, how does it work? I've got a few things to say about this. I want to suggest it won't always look this neat and tidy as it does here in John 11. So let's think carefully about how we can apply this to ourselves. What can we say? Well, first of all, I want to say we can have confidence today, as you could back then, that the most important thing God can do for a person is reveal Himself, reveal Jesus. That's still true, absolutely true today. Secondly, though, I want to impress this on us again, Whatever good God might be doing in the suffering in your life, and there's tremendous good that He promises He is doing, He's never carelessly kind of floating above it all, indifferent to your pain and suffering. Even though He's doing something better, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about what's going on for you. And Jesus is the perfect example of that here, isn't He? He's doing something huge through this tragic event that's happened to this family, motivated by love. He's doing something amazing, but He doesn't just kind of whistle on past their tears as if He's unmoved by it. He wept. He cares for you in whatever you're going through now. He knows the depths and the realness and the rawness of it all. He cares, He loves you, even though He's doing something bigger. Third thing I want us to notice is often we don't always get to see the whole picture of God's good plan. Did you notice with Lazarus's death, which was used to do a whole bunch of enormous things, as we've just seen, um, that incident that was Lazarus's death and his family's grief was doing a lot more than just something in Lazarus's life. <laughs> it was for the benefit of the disciples that they would believe, and in fact, for everyone who's read the book of John down through the centuries, that we would believe Jesus was doing something enormous through this one event, but Lazarus wouldn't have had a clue of the details and the scope of what it was God was doing. And so, what that means is, as you encounter suffering in your life and you remind yourself of God's good promises that, um, that God works for the good of those who love Him in all things, so God's doing something good even as terrible things happen, there's no promise that you're going to be able to grab the terrible thing that's happened and put it on one end of the scale and then look at the good that you see God doing and put it on the other end of the scale and be like, oh, no, that's worth it, that's good. There's no promise that you're going to be able to weigh things up like that and see all the good that God is working amidst the pain. So, don't feel down if you find that hard to weigh up, you're not expected to be. Uh, Job is the perfect example of this. We saw this last year when we looked at Job. Job never saw the full picture of what it was that God was doing as he was caught up in the glory of God and God's plans. But in spite of the mystery, 
we're told that we can trust him, that he is working good, even when mystery remains. Now, with those important little pieces in place, fourth, I want to say this. One huge thing that God is doing in your trials and suffering is he's revealing Jesus to you. He promises that. And so, friends, if you're a Christian, if you right now are facing hard times, you can have confidence that God in his wisdom is making you more like his son, revealing him to you. That's God's revealed plan here in in John 11. It's the promise of God in James chapter 1, that through suffering you'd be more like Christ. God is doing something in you Christians and so you can trust him. Now what do you do if you're in the midst of it, you're in the midst of the hard times and you feel like actually what you're going through is making your faith, if anything, weaker? (laughs) I've talked to many Christians who through tears have said, this isn't making my faith stronger. If anything, it's bending it. I'm afraid it's going to break it all together. What do you do with that, if that's your experience? Not growth, but feeling crushed. And friends, I want to gently encourage you that if that's you, the simple reality is these things take time. (laughs) It's a long road. Sometimes it takes a long time. And growth as a Christian, it isn't neat, it isn't simple, it's, it's costly and messy and hard. And the kind of character that suffering produces in a person, it doesn't look shiny and simple and, and quick, it's not like that. But it's deep and it's profound for those who continue in Christ through the hard times. He's doing something incredible in you, so keep trusting Him, even if you can't see it. Now, friends, if you're not a Christian, can I encourage you as well, don't waste your suffering. The hard times in life, they're actually a lot like a megaphone that God yells to us with. So, every good thing that you enjoy in this life is meant to be received as a good gift from God, a message from God saying, there is a good God who's made this world and and these good gifts are from Him. They're pointing you back to Him, but sometimes, so often, His good gifts fall on deaf ears. But hard times in life, they can be like a megaphone that just cuts through all the noise in this world. Our sufferings yell to us, all is not well in this world. It's broken. You need the Saviour, you need Jesus, the one who brings life that doesn't end. Friends, if you're not a Christian, uh, but you've been going through hard stuff in life, listen to God's megaphone. Come back to Him. I'm not saying that you're suffering because you're not a Christian, this is a special judgment from God. I'm not saying that the hard stuff will go away if you become a Christian, But I am saying, this is God's way of saying, wake up and see that all is not well and you need a saviour. And so come to him. Come to the one who can help. And fifth and finally, friends, one day soon, God will end the suffering once and for all. And so take heart. Whatever, Whatever mystery remains around suffering, God is at work in your life and this much is clear, the resurrection is coming. That day is one day closer tomorrow than it was the day before and then we will live even though we die. We raise to a life where there's no decay and sickness and death and tears, it'll all be gone. Praise God for that.
I'm going to invite the band to come up. In a moment, we'll respond in song. So get you guys to come up. But as we do, I'd love to invite you now to, to take some time to reflect on some pretty big stuff we've heard and even perhaps take a moment to pray. So do that now and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for the hope that we have, uh, the hope of an inheritance kept in heaven for us that can never spoil, perish or fade. We thank you that it is secure in Jesus, the one who's gone before us, the one who's died and risen again in victory. And Father, we pray now that in the months and years and life ahead, that we'd con continue to cling to that news, that hope of the resurrection. Lord, you are mighty and powerful. You've squashed death underfoot in the Lord Jesus. And we praise you and thank you for all of that in his mighty name. Amen.